You said you'll give us the mind of Christ. Would you do that, O Lord? Lord, minister to us. We sit in your presence asking you to do something in us that allows us to know that you're real and you're present. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week we're going to talk about what do you see at the cross? But that's next week. I want you to read that passage and read it with Jesus being on the cross. And I want you to ask the question, what do I see? What do I see? And we're going to talk about that next week. This week we're going to talk about Easter being a reminder. Why do you have a wedding anniversary? It reminds you of what? The day you both got what? married. Not just one. Oftentimes the wife claims it all totally on her own. <laughs> it's my anniversary. But it's our anniversary. It's a reminder of the vows. It's a reminder that you chose freely. It's a reminder. What's the purpose of your birthday? It's a reminder. It allows you to know you're another year older. Some of us don't want to know that. But it's a reality. There are things in life that are a reminder to us. Elaine can tell you the time each one of her children was born. I can't. But it's a reminder. I don't even remember their birthday. She can tell you their birthday. There's things she can tell me about my children that I don't know. But when she sees them, it's a reminder. Each one of them are packs of memories for her. And sometimes we'll be sitting and she'll tell me, if I had it to do over, I would do this or this or that. Thing is, we can't undo, but God gives us what? Memories. Memories. And Easter is to remind us and bring us back to a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. What Jesus has done for us. And as we look at society continuing to march on, we're seeing society slowly walking away from Easter, walking away from Jesus Christ, walking away from church. We see society with so many excuses. Oh, I love Jesus, but I don't attend this church. And yet, guess what? That's what he died for. But yet we see people constantly drifting away from it. Away from it. Away from it. And Easter is a reminder that this is a reality. Whether we really accept it or not, 
It's a reality. How many of you were born when Abraham Lincoln was president? How many of you were born when George Washington was president? How many of you were born when the colonies become state? But yet you believe that those things happen. I have a friend who doesn't go to church on Easter Sunday because it took place on Thursday. His resurrection took place He died on Friday. He resurrected on Sunday, but he believes it's on Thursday and it went from here to there and so many days. Let me ask you something. Does it really matter or does it matter that he died for you? We know Christmas is not his birthday. We know certain things didn't happen. But according to a Jewish calendar and Jewish time, Jewish sunset, I hold very, very strongly to Friday and Sunday. And we say, well, three days and three nights. Well, it was three days. It may not have been three nights. But that night was still considered part of the day. You can't separate a day and a night between a day. Other than it's daylight and it's nighttime. But when it gets dark, guess what? It's still the same day, Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. The day didn't change just because it went from daylight to night. It's still the same day. So we get all mixed up in all this stuff about Easter. And we miss the real meaning of Easter. That he died for me. Easter is time to reflect on what God has done for you. Because we are a people who quickly forget. We are a people who quickly take things for granted. We are people who can quickly get involved in this and things over here and this over here that we don't have time for this. I can't understand how grown children sometimes with their ailing parents don't have time for them, but they're so busy trying to take care of their own life, their own children, their own wife, their own job, that somehow parents get stuffed back here in the corner until the very last moment. But we teach ourselves to do that. We teach ourselves to do that. Really part of my years, I used to travel a lot for the denomination. But I made a habit that as soon as I got back in Akron, I went by to see my mom. And one time my wife asked me, before you come home, you always go by your mom's. I said, well, I go by mom and dad to see how they're doing. And I know I'm only going to stay there a short while. But when I come home, I'm ready to be home. That seemed to satisfy her. Never asked that question again. When I come home, I'm ready just to be home. But mom and dad was only for maybe a half hour or so. But I wanted to make sure they're doing good. I stopped by, see how they're doing. They're on home. And I don't have to leave home to go back out and see about them or anything. What's your priority? Is God a priority in your life? 
Or is God the second, third, fourth, fifth thing down on your list of priorities? And that's what Easter helps us to do, to reevaluate and really ask ourselves, is he first? And to reconsider what he's done on our behalf. Because we quickly forget people who helped us along in life. We quickly forget what he's done for us. We just chalk it up. Oh, he's God, that's what he's supposed to do. Well, there's a lot of things parents are supposed to do for their children, but their children shouldn't forget the sacrifice that their parents make on behalf of them. So it is with Jesus. We will quickly forget the benefits and what we have inherited by what he has done for us. We quickly forget. We forget until there's a crisis. We forget until there's really some pain in our life. We forget him until we say, Oh God! And then all of a sudden he's supposed to rush in. Then recognizing he's present all the time. He's there all the time. He knows everything that's going on. Nothing's taking him by surprise. And if you're really his child, he has you in the palm of his hand, no matter what the crisis might be. And he can give you peace and a calmness that surpasses the understanding of man. But once the danger or the trouble is over, then we go back to our regular old life. Okay, God, I got it now. I can handle it from this point on. And the reality is we can't. Easter is a reminder of death and life. Of death and life. And that life can change. Easter reminds us life can change. In the twinkling of an eye. The one thief's life on the cross with Jesus changed in a moment of time. In a moment of time. When Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. His life changed right there. You can change your life. If you want to. If you want to. And the question is, do you really want to? It's not easy steps to change life. It's difficult. It's hard. It's risky. But it can be done. God is able to do it. It's not impossible with him. He can change your life if you really want it. And that's what Easter is a reminder of, that there is a God who is able to change your life if you really want it. But it's up to you if you really desire real life or death. 
go to Romans with me, and I want you to put a couple of scriptures together. Go to Romans 6, 23. He says simply this here. Well, the wages of sin is death. He didn't say you would die immediately. He said the wages of sins is death. So even while you are living and you're living in sin, you are considered what? Dead. Dead. You've already, in a sense, have died. How? Spiritually. We're going to see that further in Ephesians. For the wages of sin is death. The ultimate end of sin will bring you to death. The ultimate relationship with Jesus Christ brings you to life, eternal life. Now, there's a decision that has to be made. Do you want life or do you want death? And he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that's what the thief on the cross experienced. One thief experienced it. The other thief did not. There are those in life who will experience eternal life through Jesus Christ because they accept, they realize who they are. And as he said on the cross, yes, we're worthy of this death. He's done nothing wrong. It brings you to a place to really take a look at yourself, to evaluate yourself. Are you really living the life the way God ordained it to be? Or because of your sin, you're living dead and not alive? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. I want you to go. Verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He says you're already dead. You're alive, but you're already dead. You're living, you're moving, you're going to work, you're going home, but you're dead. And most people don't realize they're already what? Dead. Most of us are in this holding pattern waiting to die not understanding we're already dead without Christ. Real life comes when I accept Christ. And that's why he makes it a different, eternal life. Because that's God's desire for me, that I would have eternal life. I don't start living eternal life once I die. I start it the moment I accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Real life starts for me. But when that real life starts for me, now I have to learn a new way of living. I'm accustomed to living the way this world says life should run. I'm accustomed to the system of this world. But now I'm going to have to begin to transform. I am a citizen of heaven. So I begin to learn how to live differently and think differently. And that takes place as I'm in the word of God. If you're not in the word of God, God's not going to just automatically open your head and dump the stuff in. He says, you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to do some work. In my marriage counseling, I've learned this here to tell people right off the bat. Marriage is work, work, 
more work. That's it. Because you're not willing to work at it, it's not going to work. You've got to work at marriage. You've got to work at a relationship. You have to work at it. And in this relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to work at it. If you're going to really get to know him, you have to really work at it. And he says, you're already dead. Go over to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Let's look at a couple of verses. And I want you to look at what he says here in 39. Get the glasses here. He says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. What kind of insults might he have hurled? You're not really God. You can't save nobody. You can't save yourself. So why would I expect you to save me? You're on this cross just like I am. You're just a man. You're in this human body just like I am. You're bleeding just like I bleed. You're in pain up here just like I am. You're not really the Son of God. And a lot of people say that, not understanding what they're really saying when they say Jesus is not the Son of God. Because the only one who can make him real in your life is the Holy Spirit. There comes the word blasphemy. That when you deny the truth of what the Holy Spirit is giving you, you are then blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And that's why scripture said when a person blasphemes, they cannot be saved. They cannot be saved because they will not hear the truth of the Spirit speaking into their mind and into their heart. So they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and they're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And if the Holy Spirit is a liar, then there's no truth. And if there's no truth, they cannot know the way of God. So they blaspheme. And the scripture says they cannot be saved. Why can't they be saved? Because they will not believe truth. And he goes on there and he says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, the text doesn't tell us how long this man may have known Jesus. The text doesn't tell us any part of a relationship that Jesus may have had with this man. It doesn't tell us that their life may have crossed paths. But what he tells us, this man judged himself and said, we are worthy of this. We're worthy to be hanging on this cross. We're worthy of this punishment. But he isn't. He isn't. He remembered that Jesus was not a criminal. Jesus was not worthy of this death that he was suffering. But he did remember he was worthy of it. And he was receiving 
a just punishment for his crime. And he goes on, he says, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. There's the asking. Lord, remember me. There's the believing. There's the trusting. What he recognizes is this, that Jesus is different than he is. He couldn't ask that of himself, nor did he ask it of the other criminal. He asked it specifically to Jesus. Remember me. And I believe Jesus remembered him because he remembered something of Jesus. That he was a just man. He didn't deserve to be here. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. There's something more going on there with this person and how they're thinking and what they're seeing about Jesus for him to say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. There's something more going on in his mind and in his heart. And he says, boy, we're worthy of all this. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, he don't know nothing about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He don't even know if he really have a kingdom. He don't know. But in his heart, he's believing that he has a kingdom. And he rules over that kingdom. See, there's something going on in this man's mind and this heart that is not going on in the other criminal's mind and heart. There is the Holy Spirit dealing with one while the Holy Spirit is not dealing with the other. The Holy Spirit dealing with one because the man is seeking, desiring, want to know. The other one don't want to know. So the Holy Spirit doesn't give the information. Understand, if you don't want to know, the Holy Spirit won't force you. And he says, then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus answered him. Now catch how important it is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow. Not next month, next week. This very day, you're going to be with me. How does that happen? The moment you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, you have translated yourself from hell to heaven. How does that happen? We don't understand. We don't really know. Other than that, I am now bound to heaven rather than hell. And it happens that quickly. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm going to put you on a trial period. I'm going to give you 90 days to see if you really walk with me or not. It happens immediately that your destination is changed from hell to heaven. And it's not based on how much you know at that moment. It's based on a sincere heart wanting to be with him. Now, that doesn't mean it don't cost you something. All this stuff about 
Salvation is free. It is to an extent. You don't have to pay for being saved. But you do pay a cost to walk with Jesus. Don't never forget that. You will pay a cost to walk with Jesus. Because everything in your fleshly body will go against what God will ask of you. Even to the point of denying yourself. And most of us go with this little saying, well, if I don't take care of me first, I can't take care of nobody else. When you surrender yourself into the hands of God, he'll take care of you that you can do the other. But as long as you're going to see about yourself, then he'll let you. But when you surrender yourself into his hand and allow him to give you the very next breath, allow him to give you the next ounce of strength you need, to allow him to order your steps, you'll begin to see a difference. And the thief surrendered himself to Jesus. And Jesus didn't look at the outer man. The outer man had nothing to offer to Jesus. Had nothing to give to Jesus. But what Jesus looked is further than the outer man. He went to the heart. He saw the man's heart. Not what the man was offering, what the man could give. The man couldn't give a thing. And yet, he gained the richness of heaven. Why did Jesus come? Go over to John chapter 12 and verse 27. Yes, we know that he came to die for sin. Yes, we know. But there's something else. In John 12, 27, he simply says, Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Save me from this hour of suffering. Remove me from having to go through this suffering, this pain, this humiliation, this death, this thing on the cross. And then there's a pause there. Isn't this surprising sometimes when you ask a question, you also already know the answer? And a lot of us will do that. We ask the question. We already know the biblical what? Answer. And he says, no. He says, no. He says, no. No. It was for this very hour I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, let's take a picture here. He's not saying 
Lord, remove me from this suffering. Remove me from this pain. Remove me from this. And we see the same thing somewhat going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. So we see this struggle between this man in the body and God's will. We see this struggle going on. And Jesus says, no. Why the no? One, this is the will of the Father. He sent me for this hour, for this time. Understand this in life. Some things you are just sent to, but God has already prepared you for it, and somewhere it has crossed in your mind before you ever got there. And he says, no. And the reason that he says no, because of what takes place in Hebrews 12, the joy of seeing so many people saved because of his action of going to the cross. Seeing so many lives transformed because he said yes to the will of the Father. And sometimes our suffering has to come with a yes. Yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord. And we can't see the aftermath of what will take place. How many people will be blessed by my suffering? You can't even see as you suffer for your children what's going to be the outcome of your children. You can't even see as you work and you profit and you spend your money. You know, boy, when I look at the money I put out for college and I look at this and I look at that and I'm saying, boy, I could have had this and I could have had that. Y'all cost a lot. But when you look at the outcome, then you say it's worth it all. And that's why Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 said, the joy of it, the joy of going to the cross, the joy of suffering at the cross, the joy of dying on the cross. And guess what? When he looks at you individually, the joy of dying when you're living as God has ordained you to live, it brings a joy to him of his suffering for your life that you might live in holiness and righteousness before God. And therefore he says, Lord, glorify your name. Not my name. Don't glorify me. Yes, you said, oh boy, I'll be lifted up. But look what he really says there. He says, Father, glorify your name. How's he doing that? Through each and every one of our lives. He glorifies the name of the Father. Well, you better stop there. I'll keep you all here until 2 o'clock. Why do we sin? And that's where I really wanted to get to. But we'll pick it back up after next week. Because, see, Christian sin 
for the lack of understanding of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We sin because we take it for granted for what he's done. A lot of children, we see it in children's life. Parents have been over backwards. Parents have sacrificed. Parents have went without. Parents have done this and that, that their child can what? Have a much better life in a sense. And the child somehow forgets everything that what? The parent has done. But the child who appreciates it can't do enough for the parent. They can't do enough. It's not that the parent is saying, oh, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. It's not about owing. It's about knowing it in here. That I would not be where I am unless mom and dad made this sacrifice. I would not have what I have without mom and dad building and laying a foundation here. I wouldn't have what I have if dad didn't deny himself a new car, a new suit, a new this or a new that. I am what I am based on part of what my parents have poured into me. I am what I am based on what God has poured into me. I am what I am based on what he's done. And I don't take that for granted. I don't throw that out. I don't just say, well, that's what he was supposed to do because he's God. No, he did it out of love for me. Out of love for me. Out of love for me. And when people go over here and sin and get all involved in this and that, it's an expression of how much they really love the Lord. How much they really appreciate what God has done. And to live in sin constantly is to deny the presence of God in your life. Why? You can't mix oil and water. They won't mix. I don't care how much you stir it. It won't mix. Holiness and righteousness and sin won't mix. And we're trying to mix sin with holiness. Sin with righteousness. It will not mix. It's one or the other. Cannot be both. It's either holiness and righteousness or sin. It cannot be both. He went to that cross that we could be free of what? Sin. And really know the holiness and righteousness of God. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for speaking to our hearts. Would you make it clear to us? 
Would you give us more understanding? Would you help us, O God, to desire to draw closer to you? As we prepare for communion, would you minister to our hearts? That, Lord, as we receive these elements, we receive them, Lord, in thanksgiving of what you have already done on our behalf and what yet you're going to do. But you tell us, Lord, to do this in remembrance of you. Help us, Lord, to really reflect and to remember what you have done. I want you to remember Good Friday service coming up on Friday at Riverside, 6 o'clock. You know, I know it's a sacrifice for what? For each one of us to get there. But it's a time to remember also of what God has done for us. For those who serve, would you come? And this is a time when we come to this table to remember and to reflect and to understand this is not my doing. This is not my doing. This is God's love in action. It's what he's done for me. And he's made it possible. He's made it possible. And we need to understand that. He's made this possible. And one thing he's asked me to do is to remember him for what he's done. Father, we pray, O oh God, that as we hold these elements in our hands, that we will remember, Lord, that you suffered in your body. As we hold the cup in our hands, may we remember that you shed your blood. And you said, Lord, without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. Help us to remember that, Lord, we did not purchase our own salvation. Nor will we purchase with precious stones and gold and silver. But we was purchased, Lord, with the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to reflect on you. Would you somehow remove the world from us just for a moment and allow your Holy Spirit to minister to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't speak condemnation to us, but you speak deliverance to us. You speak love to us. You speak gentleness to us. You're speaking kindness to us. You're showing us, Lord, how you would have us to live. It's not about my past, it's about my presence. Lord, would you minister to each one of us individually? Let us not look to the left or to the right or in front or in back. But may we look at our own hearts. And may we look up to thee. Though our heads may be bowed, may our spirit be looking upward to thee, that you might speak. In Jesus' name, amen.